Welcome back to No Ride Around. <laughs> oh, dude, that was your best. Uh, you know who you reminded me of? Ned Flanders, right then. That's who you just sounded like. Hit him with a Hadley Ho. <laughs> yeah, you just, you Ned Flanders, the opening of this episode. It did. It did. I, I, I think it, anyhow. I've got my rocket fuel, so I'm a little jacked up right now. Yeah, well, we'll get to the rocket fuel. We will. I'm slurping this Nixon's down. Um, but I think you were a little, I think you're a little put off on how to open this episode because you're just freshly back on American soil. I am. And you're a little goofy not about... Not used to our ways. Yeah, our ways don't involve any hidely hoes. Nope. Or, uh, hello, neighbor. Or yeah. any of the other creepy sort of like things <laughs> reserved for just dark parts of movie theaters. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, I am fresh off of a trip to Spain to, Dude. to visit uh, the fine folks at Orbea Bicycles. So, you know, we'll get into this Spain trip, but I will tell you, for the weeks leading up to this, I remember that... You know, Orbea had reached out and said, "Hey, we want to take you guys to Spain, mm-hmm. and you see the stuff." Well, uh, Sam couldn't go with you. Yep. And I tried in all of my subtle <laughs> to not so subtle ways of saying, "Like, I will be Sam. Like, wa- watch me stand taller, a little bit taller, and have a- even a louder voice than I've got." Like, Love you, Sam. But watch me do that. Let me be Sam. Yeah. And let me come with you. And it didn't work. No, um, it didn't. Unfortunately, <laughs> I mean. Not for nothing, you could have gone. Tickets were outrageously expensive. No, that's not how I meant it. Yeah, yeah. I meant it the yeah. way you got to go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, so I, I, that was my first time leaving, like, like really leaving U.S. soil. Minus the, like, south of the border trip type thing. I mean, uh, you know, the Bahamas, I dare you to count it. Yeah, And no. uh, going to the uh, Canada side of Niagara, like, same thing, like. So this was a big trip. It's a big trip for me, and uh, I I will fully admit I had a little um, anxiety mixed in with my excitement. Um, Molly called it uh, anxitement. Anxitement. That's a good. <laughs> that's a good term. Yeah, it was really good, uh, and it was it was totally uh, appropriate. Um, yeah, and first international flight, um, doing it solo. Turned out the flight was. Uh, Kind of an easy button. Apparently, the whole rest of the world just assumes Americans are kind of stupid, and they conveniently speak our language everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah, they, <laughs> they, they just realize like, like it's like when you have a customer. So <laughs> it's like when you have a customer that's like the bull in the china shop. Yeah, and you're just like, I just have to just to let them be the bull. Here's mm-hmm. what you need. Yeah, and here's like all the signs are in English, and then just like below the English, the. The language of the country that you're in, which yeah. is a little fucked up, but you know, whatever. Well, you know, but then again, we kind of bailed out everybody in their wars. So <laughs> there's kind of an advantage that comes from like, you know, yeah, you guys may think that we're a bunch of assholes, but when you're in real trouble, like you're also calling us. So, so there we go. Um, but no, it was a ton of fun. Uh, so, um, Orbea identified uh, key partners throughout the entire world. So it wasn't just base camp cyclery. It wasn't just us dealers. Um, it was it was a global event, so there were dealers from all parts of Europe, South America, Canada, um, obviously uh, the U.S. And uh, the opportunity was that they identified us as as what they call key partners or or, or or companies that do a certain amount of business, but also show the most potential for growth. So that was the opportunity. That was that was the event. Um, 
And you probably just got to go and get totally punch drunk on some more Bay of Juice. Yeah. A little uh, bit. Like, I, not in a bad way. No, I, I always make the joke that it's uh, it's like a Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid drinking fest. Like, yeah. you know, you get there and they just serve Kool-Aid the whole time. But it's not an outer bike. Yeah. Or one of the five. It's right. like... Yeah, in their home country. Yeah, it's, at their factory, and it's cool because I've had other opportunities with other brands. I mean, obviously Yeti uh, is right here in in uh, the Golden Denver area, so you can go out to that factory. But most of your trips to Yeti are just really to save on the freight charge. Yeah, but some- I mean, you know, so <laughs> I, I've been working with Yeti um, in one capacity or another for about twelve years now. So, but initially. Uh, and they do their own little thing. They, like they'll do little dealer events. So it's a pretty common practice. It just so happened that this one was um, in North Spain. That's sweet, dude. <laughs> so cool. Yeah, it was. I mean, the uh, my anxiety was so high at 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 one point that I almost just didn't go. Like I was like having like some kind of crippling social anxiety, fear, traveling kind of thing. Yeah, and. Uh, Colin being the the solid solid friend that he is, he's like, I'll hurt you if you don't take a free trip to Spain. Yeah, <laughs> like, dude, I'd double down on Colin. Yeah. Matter of fact, I put my Harley mask on. Yeah, and I would have gone as Harley. Yeah. Listen, I would have been anybody. Yeah, just literally anybody. Like, who do you want me to be? Yeah. So, um, um so what'd you like? What did what'd you get to do? Man, you know. I don't think I got a real accurate representation of what it's like to to travel in Europe um, because everything was just laid out for us. It was the most concierge level uh, trip I've ever had in in my entire life. Um, So we got to, I was only there for two days, um, two days and three nights. That's crazy. It's a whirlwind, whirlwind trip for, you know, the thick end of 26, 23 hours, something in there of traveling for, you know, what, 50 some odd hours in the country. But like most of the people that were there were probably like you, bike shop owners that are hugely important to mm-hmm. the show. Like, so kind of had to be compressed, I'd imagine, a little bit. Yeah, definitely. But there's, you know, a lot of there, you're spent a lot of time hanging out with a, a handful of guys from uh, England, Ireland. Um, and those guys are like, I don't know, it was like a four hour flight. Like, what's the big deal? Like yeah. the same time zone, and I'm like yeah. dead on my feet because I haven't had a proper night's sleep and it basically the whole trip from, <laughs> right. from the day I left Denver. Um, so I mean, what did we do? We um, upon arrival, um, we just we kind of walked. We, so we flew into a, a, a town in Spain called Bilbao, um, pretty close to the coast, not quite there. Uh, we did eventually go visit the coast and have a dinner out there and, and got to see that part. Um, but we kind of just took a little stroll into a little, I don't know, we just walked down a hill and found some little local watering hole and sat in a courtyard next to an ancient church and like had drinks and like met some new people. Like that was they like that was the intro. It was like yeah. land, shuttle from the airport, and then we just walked into this ancient city and had a couple of drinks and and hung out and met some uh, some new new people. Um Predictably, um, all the U.S. dealers kind of found each other. Yeah, um, comfortable. Yeah, you know, um, back to that language thing, that whole being able to interact thing. But again, I mean, I didn't meet a single person the whole trip that couldn't at least speak some English. So yeah. that was kind of um, humbling, you know, just culturally to to realize that um, 
other other places prioritize being able to talk to us dumb Americans. Well, no, <laughs> you know, I so I've gotten okay. So I I got a speeding ticket. This is years ago, like a decade ago or so, and I had to take I could take one of those defensive driving schools to not have the ticket, and right. I happened to be in there, and there were a handful of Europeans in there. And I, we had somehow, you know, those things get off topic because no one wants to be there. And we were talking about how a lot of Americans don't really know any other languages, right? Like we just have English. Yeah. And so when we travel, we're perceived as, you know, a little, little pig-headed. In a little the sense un- of, uncultured. You know, yeah. Okay, so then again, and this was my stance, I stood up and I was like, listen, y'all, like you can be angry as you want. But I can travel coast to coast, east, west, north, south, experience every type of climate and, and like environment that I possibly want. Not to mention experience other cuisines, cultures, otherwise, pretty easily. And I can do it all using the same money in the same language. Mm-hmm. You guys drive, or like for you, a four-hour flight, and it's a completely different world. So you kind of have to... Imagine if like for every state you went to, you had to learn a new state language. Like we would know more. But it, is, it is way more condensed over there. Totally. And you're going to go like, okay, so you went to Spain. You're ever going to go back to Spain? I don't know, maybe, but probably not. Maybe you want to go to Japan. I don't know. So yeah. like... To learn no. a language for two days. Yeah. You know, be a that's little... That's fair. That's fair. It's fair. Like, it's fair. I get it. I get I'm it. I'm pro-American. We just came off the 4th of July, so I'm, I'm waving the flag a little bit on this one. <laughs> you know? I, you bring some no, Europeans no, in here. I can, I can get I with can it. I can do a fist fight at defensive driving school. I can do a fist fight here. That's fair. That's fair. Um, <laughs> so first night you got... By the way, everything over there is old. Like, yeah, dude. That's I the mean, coolest thing. Yeah. It's like I, thousands... Like our oldest shit's a couple hundred years. Yeah. And and even being from the you know being from Louisiana, being from New Orleans, which is a really really old town, especially when you compare it to a, something like Denver. Like Denver, yeah. so I was like, oh, this is an old building. It's 120 years old, and I kind of laugh because we yeah. have you know St. Louis Cathedral and the Cabildo that are like, yeah, okay, I see your hundred years, and go screw yourself. Um, but over there, you're talking. Like, but over there, it takes it to the next level where like you're like thousands. Yeah, <laughs> you're like what? Yeah, so. Um, God, I mean, Jesus I was, here. I was, I was a hundred percent that that tourist that just like was taking pictures of every cool piece of architecture because everything is cool. Yeah. I mean, like, and you're just going through parts of town, and it's like, you know, they also have not cool stuff like you know, sky ri- or high rise apartments that people are just stacked like cordwood like yeah. we do here. Yeah. But then it's right next door to some amazing piece of architecture, and you're just like, "Holy shit!" Like it's kind of like when you see that like old poor person that still lives in Wash Park, and then the <laughs> bomber four story house next to it. Yeah, definitely. That's like the Denver version <laughs> for you local people that still haven't broken yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of it for me was just experiencing being somewhere that that was so different to anything that I ever experienced or been around. This dude is just like killing his coffee over here. <laughs> Bro, you're talking and I'm slurping. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, predictably uh, trips like these tend to focus a lot. There's kind of two parts. There's the social aspect where you're going to just, they have to feed you, right? Yeah. And you're going to sit down and you're going to eat and you're going to drink and you're going to have a good time. And over there, it takes way longer to eat. And drink. Oh my God. Every meal was amazing, but every meal was also two hours. Yeah. Like, you guys, we had three <laughs> meals today. Yeah. It's two, four, six hours. Yeah. We took a nap. There's eight hours. Yeah. Like, well, you really only had to entertain me for like two hours. Yeah. You didn't have to do a lot. Um, but you got so, to see, you got to see Orbea. Got to see Orbea. Um, I got it. I do have to say, you know, so anytime you do something like this, there's like a little bit of good and a little bit of like, Kind of, I don't want to say, call it bad, but just like you got to pay a little bit, you got to suffer a little bit. And we did have a day of sitting in like an auditorium watching PowerPoint presentations. But 
in true Spanish style, we had wine and coke the whole time mixed. Not the whole time. <laughs> But hey guys, I mean, you gotta watch this thing. But here's a bunch of wine and coke that you mix together. What? I mean, no joke. Like they, Coca-Cola. They didn't make us sit. <laughs> it was like <laughs> drinking wine. Dude, this PowerPoint is sick. Oh god. You know, Coca-Cola and Coca-Cola. They do that. They do that. They do that. Um, and it's got a Cali something or another. I can't remember the name for it. Um, but in their defense of the the mandatory PowerPoint presentations. We never sat for more than about an hour and a half, and we had two sick coffee breaks with like stuff to to snack on, and then we had an awesome lunch with like all the tapas, and they they did have just they had I've never been to a country that drinks more Coca Cola. Like I thought the U S was bad, but every meal was like Coke or yeah. wine. Like yeah, that's all they do, dude. And that's not even just Spain. That's like most. For uh, any yeah. country I've gone to, mm-hmm. like Coca Cola is like I'm like, dude, that's like sugar water for like yeah. downright nasty motherfuckers yeah, in like, the U S. Yeah, like if you drink Coca Cola, not at a bike race, yeah, like on a race, like because you had lunch, like I judge you. I mean, I like Coca Cola, so I'll just I'll be judged. Yeah, well, um, drink, but yeah, <laughs> drink it away from me. Yeah, <laughs> this is under your the, sugar water under the table. <laughs> your sugar water. <laughs> um. So yeah, like the the they even something as as potentially dull as sitting in a conference room. They made it fun. They made it fun by having awesome food kind of in between. Um and that's not to say like we we saw some really cool product presentations, uh some stuff which is already out, new bikes, new models, uh updates to old models and some new stuff which hasn't been announced yet. Um and I don't even think will be by the time this episode comes out. So um much to my chagrin, and Justin's going to give me a dirty look, but um, there's some e-bike stuff coming from Orbea that I was like, that's exceptionally well thought out for that customer. I was in Crested Butte this weekend, and uh, <clears throat> one of the rides, Snodgrass uh, Lupine Lower, is this big loop, and you typically start it from town at the visitor center, but we had our dogs with us, so we park up higher so it's cooler, and then we put an awning out and let them relax. Well... As you finish the loop from where we had started, it was going to be, for me, it was a seven-mile road climb back up to the car. I let Abby just kick it in town. We finished the ride. I was like, you chill. I'll go get the car. So I'm huffing and puffing my Rayon, which mm-hmm. is like my Rayon setup. It's like 33 pounds. Yeah. I'm huffing this thing, riding it, hammering up this hill. And I saw the oldest, cu- like this couple, like when God said, let there be light, they flipped the switch. Like that's how long these guys <laughs> have been around. And they're cruising on e-bikes. And yeah. they had like the uh, the disc e-bikes so was in the rear wheel is okay. where the motor was. Mm-hmm. And I look over and they just look like, they like look like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz before the tornado, just totally chilling and loving their bike ride pedal and just cruising up this hill. And I'm laboring up. They pass a couple of mountain bikers and I turn to the mountain bikers. I'm like, you kind of want to just like throw thorns in front of their tires, don't you? <laughs> we all agreed. Yeah. I mean, again, that, that we already did that episode. Yeah, we may have to revisit it, but... Um, so anyway, uh, product presentations weren't entirely, uh, you know, it wasn't the end of the world. Like if you're into bike stuff, like they got into some real boring stuff, like pie charts of like sales growth and shit like that. And I definitely zoned out a little bit. Um, but as far as new products, um, you know, I always like seeing that stuff. I think anybody who, who does this stuff can, can at least get behind that stuff a little bit. That'd be sweet. So uh, what about like, so I've never seen a giant, I've been to Yeti with mm-hmm, you oftentimes mm-hmm. picking up bikes or whatever, but I've never seen a giant, like the production facility of 
uh, like these bikes because to me, and I think to a lot of people that probably listen to our podcast, definitely to friends of ours, the bike, everything other than riding it, everything about it's foreign. Like, I don't know what the inside of a bike frame looks like. Sure. Sometimes when I wash my bike, I, I just bounce it on the rear tire to think I'm getting all the all the water out of it. Yeah, who knows what's still in there. there yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. probably uh-huh. some... I don't know what isn't. Like, it's foreign sure. to me. So, um, heading out to where the factory is. So, the factory's in a totally different uh, town, and I'm blanking on the name of it. Um, but Orbea proper, like the factory, is kind of shockingly small. You know, like, not to say it's small, because it's not. It's giant. But... For the scale and the scope of what I thought it was going to be, for what they do, the there was a big disconnect between what the factory actually was in size and what they managed to accomplish on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, so like ballpark, how many different models of bikes does Orbea have? Oh, shit. Like just ballpark. Like I mean, if I had road, to, just, like, just off the throw, top of my yeah. head, 50. 50. So you have 50 different There's probably bikes. more. I'm right, probably right. wrong. But say there's like 50 different bikes. You would yeah. imagine a factory who's puking out many of these different types of 50 Multiple kinds of like, colors. Right. Like like Ford has like nine cars right yeah. now. Right. Mm-hmm. So like this is about yeah, 50. Yeah. It can stay the same until the paint. Right. So right. like this thing has to be massive. It, you would think. You would think. And it, and it it is. Like, I mean, it's tens of thousands of square feet that I can. And there was there were sections of the factory we didn't even get to see. Because they are in the process of revamping the factory to be able to do more with it. Yeah. Um, so there was whole parts of the factory that were kind of under construction and closed off. And then there's places that we just don't get to go um, because we're not allowed to see stuff. And you only speak English. It has nothing to do with that. And everything to do with a, every bike brand. And this is a, I'll just say this uh, across the board. People always want to know, oh, you know, is there, there's always new stuff coming. Yeah, like, cool. And um, and so you know when you look at you know a bike that so or since we're talking about Orbea, um, you look at a bike they just came out with a a revamped version of a bike called the Occam. And we see it as hey here's a new model. Well, lead times for a bike to get manufactured is typically like just the actual frame itself is about six to. 16 months, I think, depending on the factory and the size and scope. Um, So there's that. And then there's typically, you know, a couple of years development. So there's stuff that we couldn't see just because it's so early in the development phase that if we knew it was coming, we wouldn't buy anything until it came out in in another four years, right? Yeah. Um, So That's bad for business. That's bad for everybody. Um, So, yeah, there was just parts of the factory we didn't get to go to, but... Um, it was really cool. So the big thing that they really wanted to impress upon us, um, was the, the paint aspect. So Orbea for anybody that, that doesn't, isn't familiar with Orbea as a brand, um, they offer a no charge custom paint program called Mayo. Dude, it is awesome. And it's cool. Um, but it adds about 60 day lead time to a new bike purchase. So just to break, so because I've done the Mayo program. Mm-hmm. Yep. So like for those that don't hear, first off, I mean we go, did we did Mayo bikes for our our Breck Epic team yeah, bikes. Yeah. So you get to go and there's a ton of options. Mm-hmm. You can pick any color, like not any color, but they have I mean, a pretty big color wheel. They did something as like over a million color combination possibilities. Yeah, it's sweet. And yeah. so you get to kind of detail it all yourself, and then you even get to 
you know, brand it with your mm-hmm. own name. Like yours says Basecamp Cyclery on it. Yep. Mine says Dawn to Dusk. Like, yeah. Super cool. Yeah. Uh, then it's your bike. Yeah. Um, a sidebar to the whole paint thing. So I just had in my mind that, you know, Orbea makes $500 bikes too, right? Like they have some like lower end kids bikes, commuter yeah. bikes, that sort of stuff. Um, as well as these, you know, carbon wonder bikes. Um, and a part of me just always assumed that all the frames were made somewhere in Asia and then shipped to, to Orbea and the lower end bikes or the more price point oriented bikes showed up from Asia painted. Yeah. And wrong. Like they paint all the bikes in house. Now, granted the cheaper bikes have a different paint process than the more expensive Mayo bikes, but I think that was one of the things that was most impressive to me when you factor in that they paint every bike in house and some of it's, you know, by hand, some of it's by a machine, but it all happens there. That's pretty cool because that's kind of where the bikes speak. I mean, at the end of the day, not to say they're all the same, but you know, they had carbon mold frame poured. You yeah. got a frame, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's where the bike starts to take on some personality. Yeah. And especially with the, uh, with the Mayo program, it starts to become that customer's bike. So how does that work? Cause I, I mean, I picked, it was, mine was, <laughs> I picked all white everywhere. So I have a ghost bike, but I saw some other ones that people have designed and some of you've had here in the shop mm-hmm. that are like the craziest color combinations on the planet. So they got like just someone back there hand painting. How does this? So their paint process is crazy cool. Um, so the raw carbon frames do come the front and the back come from, from Asia. And upon landing at Orbea, there's a number and we're sitting, we're actually at base camp right now. And see that number on that box that says J. Yeah. That's a stock color uppercase an uppercase letter at the beginning is a stock color. So that just, if it's a stock color, it goes into a normal stock paint. Nothing special happens. Got it. Um, We've got some other bikes around. None of them in this room have the lowercase first letter, but that denotes a Mayo bike or a custom bike. Um, and when there's a, a Mayo job, um, a, a picture of the bike, what, what the final product is supposed to look like, gets taped onto the frame. And it goes, the first step, or the first stage is like a little QC. Um, it's just this clean room, Two people sitting in there and they're fine sanding little blemishes off of the frame so that when it goes to paint, there's no issues. Um, and it's a, it's a, I won't bore everybody to tears, but it goes from there. Then it goes to a clear coat or not a clear coat, a base coat. Um, and then it starts getting its, its, uh, its colors put on. Um, and it goes through the first, uh, the first room into uh, like a little holding room, I guess that has downward air blowing on the frames, kind of a vacuum air situation where it's pulling any debris off of the frames, goes into the, the, the base coat or the primer room. And watching these guys paint these frames is crazy because they are doing immaculate paint jobs in, I don't know, under five minutes. What are they doing? They paint with brushes, they spray They've them. They've got, they... so they're, they're, their paint system is actually really cool. Um, any any industrial paint tends to be pretty environmentally unfriendly. Yeah, yeah, but it's 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 cross seas. So we don't care. Well, but not for nothing. <laughs> Jesus. What? Uh, America. America. 
Theirs is uh, theirs is actually really cool. So the the it's it's spray gun. It's just like an automatic automotive paint job. They have cool. uh, compressed air spray gun, a little canister. Um, because they have so many unique paint options, the the gun goes into a little machine, a little computer beeps and boops, mixes the paint, puts it in the gun. Then the paint rooms have a wall behind the the painting jig, basically where the the frame sits. That's just water, like it's a waterfall. And as they are spraying, any overspray is getting caught by the water and pulled down and separating the paint out so that it can be recycled and reused for the next frame. Dude, that's some like Jedi stuff. Right it, there. Dude, it's crazy. It's like the only, it, a water feature that makes sense. Yeah. Because <laughs> totally. other water features yeah, are just yeah, like, like, hey, I'm an asshole. Check out my koi pond. Yeah. Um, so each each paint booth, each paint room has this, this recycling, this paint recycling mm-hmm. system. So... Um, taking something that look, paint's always going to be gross. Like it's no matter how much you do. Um, I think it's varying levels, right? Yeah. At least with this, it's recycling. It's pulling the paint, uh, components apart, reusing it. So, um, it goes through, we have your, your QC. Then we go to the, uh, the primer, which is just a white base coat, something to give the, the main color. Um, and then it goes into an oven room for 30 minutes goes to the next room where it gets its every frame and this is what i learned is every frame is a base color so if you if your bike like your bike perfect example your bike is all white with some silver and some blue right so after yours got its primer coat then it went and got its main coat of all white everything got painted white then it went and cured and then it went into the graphics room and that's where your silver logos and your blue highlights got put on. And those are what's called a paint decal. So they're not truly stenciled or painted on. It's like a, it's a decal that is very meticulously put on. And then through some process turns magic, some magic process turns into paint and then that's your graphic. And then it goes through clear coat. Cool. Um, So start to finish it's it, it it doesn't seem complex but there's a lot of moving pieces like the uh the room with the graphics they're not doing batches of bikes they're not just doing all rayons all at once and then all oeths all at once they're doing them it'll be a rayon and then right, a row like the orders come yeah, in yeah as the order comes it's exactly as the orders come in um and so by the time it gets to the like henry ford shit is oh dude he's he loses fucking cuz he's like dude this doesn't make sense but it does like the volume again, that's getting back to the scope and the volume that Orbea does in a single day is pretty impressive. Despite the fact that they're not just doing a batch of stuff. Did they tell you how many bikes they push out in a day? They didn't like, they showed us, they didn't tell us the exact number. Um, the, the guy who was running us through, I want to say he said, but like 300 or 400 a day, like, which is so that's a lot of bikes. Yeah. Like, and when I say, I mean, that's like, Every step of the process from paint to, you know, them getting assembled to them getting boxed to them getting on a truck. So like, with that many bikes, okay. So with that many bikes coming out, you'd imagine they got to jack these things up quite a bit. So like, do they have, what's their like quality? I mean, you pump, pump out three or 400 bucks a day. Mm-hmm. Be like, All right, a couple of these got to be a little kind of wonky. So as what far do they as, have in that world? Um, you mean as far as like paint getting messed up? No, no, up, just uh, in general, like in bikes in general, like, that's a lot for a company to put out. Sure. With, I mean, because when I'm careening 
28 <laughs> miles an hour down a dirt trail. Yeah. I like to think that it was a little bit more put into it than like, yeah. oh, let's slap some paint decals sure. on here and push this bike out. You know what I mean? So we did go to their testing facility, um, which was uh, all, it's all in one, one building. So we did go to kind of the QC stress test uh, facility that they have. And it, it's, it's a little room and there's kind of this mad scientist guy in there um, who his whole job is to just torture test stuff. Like he's got these torture devices um, does he wear like a big clown mask like the dude off saw? <laughs> he does not. Um, although sure. that might be a, a good good ad for his uh, his persona. Um, but uh, they, I think one of the cool things about what they do as far as as the testing and the QC goes on on the frames before it even gets to a consumer or a paint booth or anything is there's there's established testing standards, right? whether it's U.S. or European. European standards tend to be a bit higher than U.S. standards. So this mad scientist, he's like, okay, here's here's the baseline. Here's a European testing standard for the rigidity of a fork and what a fork should be able to withstand. Whether Then we're going to be talking about road bike components, right? Because on a mountain bike, a fork is a third-party thing. Right? Yeah, it's yeah, either yeah. Fox or Rock Shocks or right. whatever. So but on a road bike or a gravel bike, that's, something, that's a piece that Orbea manufactures. And so he's got this machine that just sits there and makes the fork flex in the most unholy, unnatural, just cringeworthy way you could possibly imagine. Just smashes the hell out of it. Or well, like it's flexes the yeah, hell out just of it. I mean, and we're talking, you know, at the dropouts at the end of the fork, you know, it's flexing this thing three, four inches. And then letting go. And so then, it looks like it's a suspension fork. Yeah. Well, like flexing it if it was if the bike was upright, like flexing it backwards. Got, so okay, like got you. imagine running your front wheel straight into a wall. Yep. And the I've fork. Yeah. So um and then it doesn't just do it once. Like these machines will cycle it for a hundred thousand cycles. So it'll do that a hundred thousand times. So like in the event you ride your bike into a wall at thirty miles an hour a hundred thousand times in a row, this bike will handle it. <laughs> It'll handle it. So when you call your bike shop and you're like, yo, dude, uh, I was, I was just ride. riding along. Yeah, and I broke my fork. <laughs> yeah. It that may be a manufactured defect, but the reality is is that these guys are they're testing it. They're they're putting these things so far beyond any sort of real world stress that you should have all the faith in the world that your carbon bike or frame or fork or whatever is, is, is not going to break. Not going to break. It's that's just good not going to gonna happen. Because that is, I mean, that's why I hate road biking. That is yeah. my. They seem fragile. They I seem really, fragile. Yeah, totally. Like, I feel like I'm on a razor's edge mm -hmm. at all times. Mm -hmm. I'm just waiting to die. Well, I mean, I can't speak for a BMC. Um, you know, I can only speak to to Orbea, but you know, you never know what these some weird Swiss brand. Oh, great! Thanks. Back to <laughs> back to crippling fear now. I, the other day, I was on my I was on my uh, uh, single speed, and I was going on downhill. And I was going like 45, 46 miles an hour on the single speed, but I'm like, dude, I got two point three inch tires. I got this titanium frame. I got this Fox fork. I was I didn't even think twice. But as a matter of fact, I think I was hooting and hollering. Might have been eating a shot block. I don't know. Yeah. I was jacked. Yeah. I do 45 on my road bike and I'm crippling dicey. fear. Like yeah. I'm, I, I'm thinking like, who would I leave my bikes to? Yeah. <laughs> who would get the, you know, like yeah. it's terrifying. Um, so to, suffice to say like the, and the other kind of interesting thing about, I, and I've been to, I went to Santa Cruz. They have a, a thing just like the same thing where they 
they just try to break their own shit. Yeah. They buy other people's shit to try to break. Like that's also a real common practice. Like they'll they'll go buy a specialized and be like, all right, we're gonna test it. It broke, ours didn't. Yeah, blah, or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. Um like I picked on specialized. You did like you <laughs> you've actually you've got me on the specialized and on the BFC, which was nice <laughs> in there. Um, um true to your brands though, you totally jacked up Orbea and Santa Cruz. So that's cool. Yeah. Um did you get to ride it all while you were out there? We I mean, did. So we did. Well, I just want to say there's one other yeah. thing about the testing facility. Orbea was the only one that I've seen that does test third-party stuff. So they have batches of wheels that are made by DT Swiss. Great wheels. But they'll batch pick, you know, like out of a thousand wheels, they'll pull two pairs and put them in the lab and just make sure. Like, like hey, what we're putting on here What from we're these putting other on our bikes from these other yeah. brands, does it also fall in line? So yeah. I thought that was really cool. Um, and then the other really interesting thing about Orbea, we did ride and we will talk about that. It was amazing. Um, is that they're a co-op, so they're like employee owned, right? Like to get to work there, like you, you're part of the company. You're not just like, all right, we're going to hire Jim Bob and he's going to make 20 bucks an hour putting stickers on bikes. Like, so they're, they're kind of an interesting, like, I don't think you see that a lot in the U S that uh, is cool. I mean, like REI does that, right? Yeah. Everyone in there seems happy as hell. Yeah. Um, so that was that was kind of a cool thing is just to understand uh, um, they're part of a co-op of 200 other companies, um, and it's all merit-based. Like, if, if a company's not performing, see you later. Like, if they're, if they're more of a liability uh, than a benefit to the, the overall picture, then they have to go and kind of regroup and restructure um, but then also for the, again, for the employees, um, I think that's, that's like the whole thing. Like if you work there, you also own a little piece of it. That's so cool. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, we, we did ride, uh, we did the factory tour and the ride all on the same day. So it was kind of a long day. Um, thank God for two hour meals. Yeah. Well, <laughs> plus you were, you know, jet lag away. You don't know if you're asleep or awake at this time. I, uh, I didn't really bother with sleep while I was there. Back to that Coke and wine thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think cumulative. The last night I was there, I just didn't sleep. Like, yeah. we got back from dinner at midnight, and I had a shuttle out to the airport at 4.45 a.m., and uh, I just I just didn't mess with it. I was like, everybody was hanging out and having a good time, and I made a bunch of new friends, and I was like, everybody was just down to... We all went up to our, our rooms, and... Each room had two Heinekens in the uh, in the mini bar, so we each like went upstairs, got our two beers, and just went and sat down in the lobby and hung out. Somehow, I don't <laughs> feel like the two Heinekens were the only things that you imbibed in because you told me something about you guys overshot your budget by like thirty bottles of wine. <laughs> I, you at know, one I, point so like thirty, not you like so not thirty ounces. No, it was, um, it was uh, we were this last night. It was Sunday night, and we were at this phenomenal it was the best meal of the whole trip i mean it was and and every meal was amazing like they're bringing food out to us every table is just stocked with whatever you want to drink whether you know wine water they'll bring you stuff from the bar um but this one was head and shoulders above the rest and uh i had been kind of doing that tribal thing like hanging out with all the americans the whole time yeah and uh 
I challenged myself at this particular dinner to go and hang out with some people that I didn't really know. So I'm going to tell you, have you seen the movie Hostel? The first yeah. one? <laughs> yes. Okay, the whole first half of the movie, they're like having fun. And yeah. then they make this pivotal switch. Yeah, yeah. And they end up getting chopped up. Yeah, yeah. So you made the pivotal switch. I made the pivotal switch. It played. It, it worked out in my favor. Okay. Uh, so I hung out with uh, a couple of guys uh, who are uh, two, two guys from, from Ireland, one of which who owns a shop here in the U.S., um, down in Scottsdale. And... Uh, one of which is, I, th- I think he's like the, the brand manager for for the UK. Um, and then we uh, we got a little scolded because for the whole dinner they had budgeted uh, for sixty five people worth of red wine, and because of the uh, Americans at one table and the end of the table that I was sitting with, the two Irish guys, one guy from England, myself. Drunks uh, is what you mean. Yes. Uh, okay. And I mean, not you, calling you a drunk, but I imagine like <laughs> you're a commu- you, you would assimilate quite well. I mean, but like two. We tell me two Irish guys. I'm like they're drunk and they fought. Anybody that knows me knows that I don't party frequently. Right. But this is a unique scenario, unique situation. You're in hostel, second yeah. half of the movie. <laughs> um, but we did get scolded um, because the the whole meal obviously was taken care of by Orbea, um, and we got just not not really. It was just mentioned, but it was mentioned in a way that like, why don't you reel it in just a little bit? Like while you were out there still? While we were sitting at the table. Not like afterwards, like, hey, the next time we fly you to Spain, (laughs) don't drink 30 bottles over. No, they came over. And so the whole meal had been budgeted for something like 65 people worth of of drinks. Yeah. And uh, I think we still had another hour of the meal left, um, but they were like, yeah, we're currently up to 85 people worth of adult beverages what i would have reminded them <laughs> while i haven't drank since 2006 because it doesn't work out well for me yeah i take things a little extreme as you may have noticed yeah, don't challenge me and uh well <laughs> if you say 65 people's worth of drinks i say that is a very uh um unrecognized value to me at this yeah, point I, in time. I, I can't I don't quantify know, that. what does that mean yeah i don't know so um i thought it was funny though um you know and you know, it's just, it's the company you're with and everybody was having a really good yeah, time. Yeah, Nobody ended up in jail. Although I think we did kind of piss off the the counter guy because who hangs out at a hotel, a closed hotel bar. Like we just brought our drinks to the hotel bar. Well, you know, <laughs> but uh, you're Americans, you're, you're asshole Americans. You're yeah. Mutual. Well, but it was, it was also the asshole guys from England and Ireland. So yeah, I imagine they all just get lumped um, into. So, well, we've got. Here in a hot second, we've got a guest coming on that's going to talk to us. We're going to get jacked up about coffee here in a second. We are. But I don't want to jump into that because I, I wanted to hear about the ride. Like, so the Give ride. me the like, top yeah. piece about the ride. So the ride was really cool. Um, first of all, sea level, amazing. Yeah. You feel like a superhero, <laughs> you right? You do. Um, riding at sea level, when you're used to riding at, at 5,000 or more feet, um, you get pinned. And you take like two big gulps of air and your heart rate's like 60. I feel like you can just open your mouth when you're riding. <laughs> yeah. You just like open up and you're like, I'm recharged. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the the riding, I, I actually feel like the riding was probably very representative of what the riding in that part of the world is like. Um, did you get to ride on Mount Oweth? No, we saw it though. We did see uh, the the mountain that that bike model is is named after. It that's that's over by where the uh, the factory is, closer to the coast. Cool. Um, and then the uh, where we rode was back in Bilbao, um, and it was just right out of the, out of the hotel we were staying at. So they had this huge demo thing set up, and uh, 
I was hoping to get to ride a new model. Um, unfortunately, they didn't have them ready for us to ride, so I, I rode an OETH, um, which is super comfortable with, super familiar yeah. with. And uh, so we did, it was kind of this mix of bike path, pavement, to single track connector, to fire road, climb kind of thing. Yeah. Um, steep as shit. Um, up towards the top of that, that fire road. I mean, it was 13, 14%. Um, and then we dropped in, so we got up to a high point and then we just dropped in and did this amazing descent all the way, pretty much all the way back down to, uh, the town of Bilbao. The single track was ribbon and kind of overgrown. And it was, you know, it, it was something that we don't get, at least not in the front range, you know, the, I love the trails that we have here, but like a lush environment like that. It was lush. It was green. And all the trails here are double track. I mean, there's no ribbon single track in the front range. Right. Or very little anyway. Right. So just that, that there's the excitement of unfamiliar terrain, unfamiliar dirt. And then, you know, there's times where I'm going around a corner and I'm not really sure where the trail goes next. Right. Right. (laughs) You're hoping uh, flow takes over. Yeah. Um, you know, you're looking for the fourth cone, but it's it's nowhere to be I, found. I, can't. <laughs> I don't know where the second cone is. Yeah. Right um, and uh, got to ride our guide. Um, I didn't catch his name, but he was a, a Spanish fellow who worked for Abea. Um, and these two French kids who were blisteringly fast. And one of my new friends is dude, Matt from Vermont. And, uh, we started out with a couple of people, but lost, lost a couple along the way. Um, and, uh, it was just a phenomenal ride. We got out to kind of the far point of the ride and I had to stop and take some pictures, but it, it felt almost like being in a rainforest. Like it, it, for somebody who's never been to one, right? Yeah. 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 It was just rolling green tree canopy. Um, like in the Shire, you were riding through the Shire. (laughs) Totally. Um, kind of like foggy clouds rolling in over the top of the hills. Like it was a really, really cool experience. Um, and then the other really cool part of the ride after the, the dope single track and the really fun, fast descent and, um, was that you finish back in town. Um, but we, we rode through Bilbao to get back to the hotel. Like he kind of took us a slightly different way back. So we're just like, riding through traffic and kind of experiencing that town from kind of the ground level. Yeah. Uh, we rolled through this, there's just this park and they were having some Sunday fair with like rides and music. And I was so involved in, in observing that, that I almost ran into the back of a bus. <laughs> You're just like, I can see you now. You're like this, like this new Orleans kid in Spain, <laughs> like being treated to this, uh, bougie sort oh, of like taking yeah. care and you're just like everything about spain's awesome really they got a fair going <laughs> boom bus. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so i did almost hit hit a bus because i was so distracted by seeing some really cool stuff yeah yeah, yeah. um so I, all in all i mean it was a phenomenal experience um it was cool to learn more about orbe as a company um and get to know some people and kind of I mean, like everybody knows it's this global company, but people, we were of course there with some, uh, some Orbea employees from the U S, um, who are based here, who spend time over there and like kind of everybody just knows everybody. Yeah. Like it's not, it's amazing when you see huge companies at like that visceral level and you realize yeah. like, they're kind of just like 
our companies yeah but a little bit bigger but yeah. like you're the same you know mm-hmm. yeah they and they were kind of giving this one guy a hard time um as you can imagine um not like sayings don't always translate right from like one language to another like you know all these little things that we we say that are just like a commonplace saying yeah. they don't always work and uh there's this one guy who just even though he speaks english he just wrecks American sayings all the time. And so it's this, this is hilarious ongoing joke. One day he was in a meeting and, uh, <laughs> somebody was giving him a hard time. And he's like, he like kind of in a, in a semi angry tone said, don't touch my balls. And everybody was like, what? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Do you mean break? Like yeah. don't break my ball. And so <laughs> don't touch my balls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, if I'm very mad, I also don't want people finally my balls either. <laughs> Not the time. It's all so, about time. But I mean, you, you wouldn't think that from a U.S. office to a Spanish office and a guy who works in Spain most of the time and people who work in the U.S. most of the time, yeah. they would have an inside office joke. Yeah, but that funny. was like a pretty, a really cool, clear indicator of the fact that those two offices work really closely together. And like Orbea has some of that, despite being a giant company, some of that like family factor that you would think would get lost in a company of that size. That's cool. I mean, uh, that makes you even cooler. Like, to know now you're writing a kit, a kit that says Orbea on it. Yeah. And you'd be like, dude, that. Anytime you see something at that level, you feel more intimately attached of, of course. to it. You know, which of is course. Cool. Um, so, uh, mission accomplished, guys. The Kool Aid was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got the Occam. We got the. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, but I, I mean, it is always. And as I see, I've had a relationship with Yeti for a long time. I love those guys. They're great guys. Everybody that works there from. Conroy at the top, all the way down to the guys in the warehouse. Like everybody there's dope. I've met a ton of people at Santa Cruz and Ibis. So I've, I've, I've got these existing relationships and I just, in my mind, I was never going to establish a relationship like that with a company like Orbea. Just again, again, proximity, my, pro, well, proximity and like just my own misunderstanding of what kind of company they were. Yeah. So it was wildly educational um it was a great time got home safe and sound jet lag wasn't too bad um had a, a somewhat of an adventure making my connecting flight from europe to or from yeah salt lake to denver um but otherwise completely unscathed and had a great time and i hope we do well enough to get to go back again next year yeah dude that'd be sweet yeah it was t- so such a good trip i find out i got a year <laughs> to figure out another way to subtly get myself on this trip <laughs> Um, so I think maybe we take just a, a quick second and bring, uh, bring our buddy from Nixon's coffee in. Yeah, no, we do. As you talked about relationships and we actually have a new relationship with a local coffee shop, Nixon's. And mm-hmm. so to add a little spice to what we got going on in the podcast, we wanted to give you guys, by you guys, I mean, those listening to us, um, a little bit of like takeaway, a little information. So we're going to have some fun with Michael from Nixon's here in just a hot second. And we're going to talk about the art of an espresso shot like what makes it good and uh, and dig into coffee a little bit. We're going to nerd out for like 15 minutes. Hell yeah. We'll be right back. Sing along. Raise my fist. All right, we're back here. We got Michael with us from Nixon's Coffee. Hello. <laughs> Dude, oh, he's got the Howard Stern already. He does, he does. So when you get closer to the microphone like this, you, that's called the Howard Stern. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was. If I just do this, no. No. That is, well, then we'll have to change the category from like sports and entertainment yeah, to like, pornography. Yeah, exactly. Which would be adult. Yeah. Incidentally, you have a voice that is all the way NPR. Oh, really? <laughs> like in my in my headphones, oh, I was just like, "That's a compliment." I thought we were going like leading yeah, into all things considered, dude. I love it. <laughs> Am I on a road trip right now? Yeah. Um, 
All right, well, cool. So, uh, you know, we, we, Harley and I have been going to Nixon's and just dumping cash money into these iced Americanos for mm-hmm. some years now. As a matter of fact, I think the bulk of base camps, uh, philosophy was written on the tables of yeah i mean Nixon's, it was it was this where office. i was posted up the whole time we were getting the the store open so i yes. uh i for like two and a half for two years or so clint and i never held a meeting that wasn't at nixon's <laughs> maybe we'd go to whole foods and then over to nixon's <laughs> right um i've actually seen a giant surplus of cash in the company since Clint and I don't get coffee as much anymore. <laughs> you're like, um, all this money comes. Yo, I don't Probability know is amazing. <laughs> well, no, I find other ways to spend it. Oh, don't worry. No. Um, note, have I ever swiped a personal card here at Basecamp? I don't look at the cards you swipe. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> uh, so anyhow, um, I'll tell you this, and this isn't to... We went to Brad and we were like, listen, man, hey, we do this podcast, we do this cycling team. You guys have a shop, not only locally, but also on the bike path. Would you like to get involved with our cycling team? And he's like, dude, totally I'm in. I'm like, awesome. Well, we want to like feature you guys in a cool way. And so let's have on, you know, somebody representing Nixon's to talk to us a little bit about espresso and, and kind of the art of it. And part of it was like selfish. I am, I'm way into coffee to the level, like read books about it. So I think it's really interesting. I've toured farms and other countries. It's a blast, but I also don't know anything about why the Americano I just slurped down (laughs) is like, Hands and feet above other Americanos I get in town. Yeah. Well, and we were talking about it. That's good to hear. Before we came over, it's like most coffee drinks I get, Justin watch me and cringe as I put some kind of sweet in <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. But a Nixon's Americano, I mean, I really don't. Like, there's not a lot of coffee drinks I don't drink with that are uh, uh-huh. without being doctored yeah. up a bit. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the few. Yeah. So beyond even doctoring them up. I returned two coffees this last weekend. <laughs> I was in Crested Butte and in Gunnison. And in Gunnison, I was at like a well, like I respect this roaster. Yeah. And uh, man, both of them, they were cold brews. But either way, I gave, I was like, dude, this tastes, I can't, I just couldn't drink. I just threw it away. And uh, yeah. my wife picked it out of the trash and she goes, no, you don't throw it. She went back and got me something else. <laughs> but um, I've never had that experience there. Yeah. So there's something about, and I'm not, I, I'm really sound like I'm humping the leg of Nixon's here, but <laughs> there's something about the fact that, Every time I go, it, it's mm-hmm. a joy part of my day. Yeah. So, um, wh- like, why would your guys' iced Americanos be so much better than yeah. what I get elsewhere? Well, first of all, I'll give a shout out to our roaster, Kaladi. I mean, I I just think they do an incredible job. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a u- very unique roasting process. Uh, it's a it's called air roasting. A lot of people do air roasting, but it's a very specific kind of air roaster that barely anybody uses. That I just think, um, and it's that that style of roasting that they do, and that style that roasted that they have, it causes them to do this more kind of like European style darker roast, um, which is kind of uncommon now. A lot of the hipster places are doing a lot of light roasts. Oh, it's all fruit. So it's a lot like of like wine. fruity citrus, yeah, type of um, flavors, which work well for some stuff, but. Um, yeah, there's there's kind of less room for error I found with lighter roast, especially with espresso. Anyway, so the first reason is I'll give a shout out to Kaladi because I think they do a great job. Um, but I can I can speak a little bit to like kind of how we do quality control as we're brewing the espresso. Um, so espresso, basically, you kind of have this formula, and each coffee bean um, that you'll be brewing on espresso will be different. Basically, you look at 
the weight in grams of coffee that's going in the portafilter. That's like the little handle thing, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So we do 19 grams at our shop. You're not giving away any trade secrets. Nobody's going to rip no, you no, off no, here, no, right? No, no. <laughs> yeah. Like everyone across the... Everyone's like got their yeah. notepads uh, out. Okay, go, 19 like, grams. Okay, 19. Push it, uh. <laughs> yeah. So we do 19 grams, and then we're looking for anywhere... And this is another reason I love Kaladi Beans is because uh, there's a... They're just more forgiving. So anywhere between an 18 and like a 28 second shot is like a good shot. Um, Meaning how long it takes. How long it takes to to get to its ideal volume. Okay. And then then you're looking for finished product. And some people, once a shot, the like the liquid volume of the shot, they, some people measure it that in weight in grams and some people measure that in ounces. Mm -hmm. So basically espresso to have a good espresso shot, you're looking for a certain amount of coffee and then a certain amount of water to go through that coffee in a certain amount of time to end in a certain amount of finished product. So it's kind of like there's like these different it's kind of this like three-pronged you you could thing. in theory adjust any one of those things to achieve a different result it's kind of like a balance basically if any one of those things is off right the whole thing kind of teeters over sure so it's like a three-legged stool basically yeah, okay. like if any one of the legs is like short or long or whatever you're gonna fall off the chair so, so. so we have okay uh sidebar here yeah. um when my wife and i got married we uh, we got you know you do the stupid registry thing mm-hmm. um so we go to crate and barrel with like eighteen thousand four hundred ninety three dollars of credit right yeah we didn't have that much. But we go to Crate and Barrel. We have all this credit. And I'm like, I'm going to get an espresso machine. I'm going to get a waxed mustache and a monocle. And I'm going to become like a coffee wizard. Mm. And the lady goes, no, um, you shouldn't do that. Just buy this Nespresso machine. This is where everyone's going. And I'm like, oh, but I wanted to be this guy. Yeah. She goes, no, buy the machine. And so now I have these like pods of Nespresso. Mm-hmm. Again, not as good as Nixon's. Nope. But I just go and push a button. Mm. And I have espresso. And now with you just telling me that it's a dance with like three different... Like yeah. a blonde, a brunette, and a redhead at the same time, <laughs> and you got to make them all perfect. I'm glad I got the espresso. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like it sounds impossible. If you're gonna do home, I mean, home home espresso is hard unless you really are like I'm gonna spend like a lot of money. Well, and, and that's the, the thing, like those, like a uh, uh, the like those machines you see at a at a coffee shop. Those are yeah. ridiculously yeah, expensive, like, like crazy, tens of thousands, crazy right? Expensive. Like twenty twenty yeah. to thirty thousand dollars. Yeah. So don't go thinking you're just gonna go buy a hundred dollar espresso machine and and pull a decent shot right yeah i mean and there are like i there are okay options like when you get into like the high hundreds sure but that's not the point still it's like nothing really compares to the big actual machine machine. and somebody who knows what they're doing yeah like if you sit at home you're like oh i made this myself it's not like mowing your own lawn right like (laughs) the grass is cut it's done like yeah yeah. hey i made this shitty coffee myself (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, and not for nothing. Like we have an espresso machine at home, and I'll 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 fake my way through an espresso drink on the way to work some mornings. But like, it's not the same. No, no. <laughs> so no. you're balancing these three things. Yeah. So that that's that's kind of the basic formula for espresso, and th- those components will be different. Like uh, like I kind of mentioned before, Kaladi beans they're a little bit darker than the hipster stuff. So like, um, <laughs> Love it. generally. The volume of shots that we pull with Kaladi beans will be bigger than like a lighter roasted coffee. Their volume 
the volume of the finished product, the shot will be lower. Hmm. So th- those ratios will change with the different beans. So that that's but that's kind of the basic formula. But that's kind of uh, sorry, sorry. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. That, that's kind of important because yeah. like when I see you guys pour our espresso onto the ice, I'm like. That's a good amount of coffee. And then sometimes mm-hmm. you get to places and there's like this little like it's someone drank water. coffee it's and then they water. spit into the cup yeah. and then they filled it with water. And I'm like, yeah. dude, this isn't like what like I know I want an Americana, which by default just means I can't handle the real stuff. Mm-hmm. Water it down like the World War II guys. Yeah. But like Yeah. So it's cool. You guys do it's a lot of espresso. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And that's because the bean provides that. It's yeah. It, there's kind of it's kind of another. There's in coffee. There's a lot of rabbit holes, so I don't want to go down one too deep. But basically, yeah. the lighter roasts, they're less uh, read, readily soluble. So you basically you can't get as much finished product with that same amount of water. Gotcha. It's called a brew ratio. Their brew ratios are closer to one to one. Mm-hmm. Ours are closer to one to two. Nice. So in in my and I think also in Justice, like there's one way to do a squat correctly, right? Yeah. Um, same thing with me. like there's one way to like have a derailleur shift correctly. Um, when it comes to pulling a shot, will different coffee houses kind of have their own idea of what the legs of the stool should be mm-hmm. to achieve like what they think is the right shot? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like if I remember actually when we were getting our machines set up, we were kind of experimenting with that a little bit. The machines we have, they do a thing called pressure profiling where they're um, so the standard way of brewing espresso is you do nine bars of pressure, the whole shot. But these machines that we have, you can it's you can do like a curve. Okay. Like, so oh, you can start, start at four one. and a half, and I'm gonna ramp up. Okay. So anyway, we were kind of experimenting with our brew ratios, which I mentioned before, and this pressure profiling. But we kind of landed on what we have. Yeah. So different shops will, based on their bean, based on their machines, they'll have they'll have their own idea yeah. of what it should taste like, what it should look, what the yield should be. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And then do those things stay fixed and constant or like, are you, con- are you always having to like, does it, because yeah. I had the, like, yeah. at the gym this morning, the power surged. And so everything shut off in the entire gym, <laughs> uh-huh. like music, TV, uh, the whole thing. And then it rebooted right back up, like maybe within a minute, but I had to turn everything re- back on and like reset it all yeah. up. And I'm like, I'm going to choke somebody from Excel energy. <laughs> um, so like, do you guys, as you're, I mean, cause you have pull probably hundreds and hundreds yeah. of shots a day. Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, probably more than that. Yeah. I'd imagine. Does it like, are you constantly like QC and like, Oh, let's pull. Sh- uh, just, how's this taste? So the one thing QC, that we are air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> the machines, I mean, they're machines, so they're consistent, but you know, we adjust them every once in a while. But the main thing that we're adjusting um, throughout the day is the grind. So the grind means the grind size of the grounds. Sure, fine versus yeah, coarse. Yeah, exactly. Kinda. And kind of the metaphor of like water through sand goes slower. Mm-hmm. Water through pebbles will go faster. Right. right. So that is how we get, kind of I mentioned before, like the, our, the ideal time for our shots is like 18 to 28 seconds. Okay. And the low 20s is like the sweet spot. So... Um, we will adjust the grind throughout the day because that actually will change with the weather, mm-hmm. with other okay. factors, yeah. the temperature, all, right. all that okay. stuff. So we will we're we're adjusting the grind size constantly throughout the day to kind of stay in stay in that sweet spot. Very cool. That's awesome. I always find it confusing because I do Chemex at home quite a bit. It's like coarse grind. And I'm like again, like very broad term. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like coarse grind for me has become like. Of course, I'm done. Okay, for All the right, grinder, you know yeah, what I mean. Like yeah, it's not—it's yeah. very imprecise in my sure. house. Sure. Yeah. Um, um, so 
that's, I mean, that's a lot just for one aspect of to be educated and to be able to do Mm. your job correctly. It seems like there's a lot and I'm willing to bet we barely scratched 5% of what there is to talk about. It is a lot. I mean, um, and that's why I love espresso. Sure. It keeps me interested. Yeah. No, (laughs) it's like, I mean, Starbucks, like they, you know, it's all automated. Mm -hmm. So you just press a button. I think if I had to do that, it'd be really boring. Right. As I'm pulling a shot, I'm, Constantly thinking like, oh, is this the right dose? Is this 19 grams? And and then uh, with the tamp, is this even? Is this polished? And I put it in and mm-hmm. I look at the shot. There, another thing I didn't mention is there are visual cues when a shot is pulling mm-hmm. that like if you notice spurting out the side, which is called channeling, that's a bad thing. So anyway, I, I like the the complexity of espresso because it yeah. keeps me entertained. Like <laughs> so, a, with a perfect one. What does it look like at the... You guys, it's bottomless portafilters, right? That you uh-huh, guys use? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, and I just I knew that that just means it doesn't have the two little prongs that come spout, off. Yeah. yeah, so you can really see what's happening, and I feel like mm-hmm. when they're perfect, it just all comes into this beautiful, creamy looking yeah, like stream of brown galaxy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like it's the se- it's the second coolest part. The best part is when you get to pour a splash of whole milk in and just watch art uh-huh, happen. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but. The, yeah, the brown galaxy is badass. Yeah, looking. yeah. I know. I'll even like stick my head under sometimes and like watch it from below. Yeah. Um, and yeah. That's when, and that's when the customer's like, bro, uh, can I just <laughs> yeah. get that? Can you give like, me a... I'm, I think you're a little you too know interested. You yes. know what? I changed my mind. I'll just have a drip. You clearly have a relationship <laughs> with this. Yes. Give me the nitro cold brew. I gotta get out of here. Yeah, I gotta go. I gotta go. Um, so it sounds like there's a lot of passion just for yeah. something like, you know... Somebody like me, like I love coffee. Like I, I love going and getting a coffee, and I mm-hmm. try to treat myself to a couple of moments a day. Um, but like you're on a whole different level, right? Yeah. Like, how do you like make that into a job forever? Like, is that something that people do? That is something people do. Um, is it it's less common or like? Yeah, I, I think it is. I mean. I personally like I I just kind of been using it as a part time while I have other things and on and off with school and I think mm-hmm. that's the way a lot of people treat it. But I mean, with coffee, especially uh, what people call the third wave, is getting less dependent on these kind of big roasting companies and doing things yourself. So if you're doing that, there's just so many aspects of the business you can get involved in, from sourcing mm-hmm. to roasting to whatever. Yeah, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to so make not a just behind the counter not, yeah exactly do you yeah. if you know fast forward you're done with school this is no longer a part-time thing is that mm-hmm. something that like carries over to as like a passion at home like do you i i've thought about like how serious is your setup yeah. at home uh, i mean i just have a, a french press and an aero press okay. that's really all i all i do and I'm I'm pretty pleased with it. Ideally, I'd have a fancy espresso machine. But you get to go to you get to go to Nixon exactly. for yourself. Yes. Like, yeah. Right? It'd be like, no it'd be like me having a home gym. That would be yeah. stupid. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. hey, check out my sweet home gym. Awesome. Dude, I just got redundancy. The, I just got this sweet squat rack for my garage. Yeah. Uh, what? Um, okay, so I have seen quite a bit. Uh, I won't say quite a bit, but I've seen shots be poured and then they just dump them. Like, oh, that wasn't a good shot. Yeah, yeah, and I'm looking at them like. Yo, that shit would look good on some ice in front of me right now, you know? So how is it that, how is it that you know that? And then why would it be such an unsatisfactory experience Mm -hmm. for the consumer at the end of the day? So, uh, the main reason that we probably know that is because our grind is off. And so the, the time, like the time of the shot is off. So 
Um, for example, if a shot pulls in 15 seconds, um, that's too fast. And that's what we call under-extracted. That's an under-extracted shot, which means that um, there's not... There's not been enough extracted from the coffee. Not enough flavor. Not enough. It'll of be. The, it'll be a weak shot. It'll be weak. It'll be sour. It'll be kind of thin. Okay. And sour is the, is the, really the best way to describe that. So that's one end of the spectrum. The other, the other end of the spectrum is too. It takes too long for the shot to develop. Then we call that over extraction. Those shots are usually kind of dark and look really thick. And the best way to describe over-extracted shots are just bitter and astringent. Yeah. And hmm. so really, honestly, if espresso is not brewed right, you can tell. Like, you can really you can really tell. So. You can tell or I can tell? I, I honestly <laughs> think that anyone could tell. I really? mean, okay. that, in, that, and then I guess that's like the a, question is like, could yeah. I look at it or would it be more of a taste thing? I'd be like, oh, this is in an Americano. In an Americana, you could you, like y'all could definitely tell. Okay. Um, in like a flavored blended latte, I yeah. So not real coffee. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> it probably would not be able to tell. But. Okay. I uh, okay. So, um, all right, we're gonna open up the channels here a little bit. I'm gonna okay. dog on someone else yeah. to just to relax a little of the reins a little. Okay, because Harley's got a question here mm-hmm. in a second. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> all right, but um. Like, what would be... Okay, say I'm not at Nixon's, where I'm guaranteed that you guys are going to QC this thing and these shots are going to be dope, right? Mm-hmm. I'm somewhere else. And I'm watching, you know, Wax Mustache Hippie with uh, uh, Super Fruity Coffee mm-hmm. pour me some shots. As a consumer, I'm standing here just watching, impatient. What should I be looking for to make sure I don't get one of these dog shit Americana drinks? Um, I don't, is there, I mean, is I there know. something we can see or is it just like taste it and be like, no, this is wrong? I think... It's it's funny. It's like when I think about it, if I was in a place, I think I would be able to tell, but I'm trying to identify what that would be. And I feel like maybe it's just a lot of intangibles that I myself just know intuitively yeah. from working with it. I mean, the first thing is I, I know kind of the roasters that I like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. around town. So if I can't even like identify like i've literally never heard of this roaster <laughs> or it's probably not gonna have that one. yeah or, there, or there's kind of other things about i'll, I'll also look at their machine like right. if i can tell it's like okay because by their equipment you can kind of tell like do they care is like, it like, how much do they yeah. exactly is it would it be unreasonable so like you go to a nice restaurant and <laughs> it's all about scope and scale right like if yeah. i go to a nice steak restaurant steak's expensive right $50 steak. If it's cooked poorly, I'm for sure sending it back, right? Go to a nice coffee shop, you know, let's say an Americano is five bucks and they pull it like shit. Is it unreasonable to send it back and be like, you know, like, yeah. like what is it something that like I as mean, a consumer, like if somebody was like, Hey man, I, I, I think you maybe pulled this shot yeah. one way or the other. Like, would you I, redo it? Like, I, I don't know. Like for I, me, I would. Yeah. Cause I want people to, Cause I love coffee right? and I want people to enjoy what they're getting. Right. Uh, but I know that, you know, I mean, that gets into some, what, some of what maybe some of my coworkers or fellow baristas in the coffee field would see as like certain customer service taboos and mm-hmm. oh, you're, then you're being a dick or whatever. Okay. But I, I mean, I'd be fine with that. So know. speaking of being a dick, <laughs> uh, a, a, so uh, a friend of mine <laughs> works at Starbucks. All right. And so uh, they do have the machine where you just like, Push yeah. the button, right? Yeah. And uh, I read Homeboy's book, and so I understood he was like, trying to just make sure that it was the same experience everywhere. And mm-hmm. so you can't control like every yeah. college kid you hire, right? So they got the push button thing, okay? Um, 
yours is significantly better. But what they, they had a guy come in, and this guy, like, his order was so absurd. Um, and he was so specific about how he wanted it. And he was just kind of being a dick about it at the same time. So they gave him a rinse shot. So on their machines, you can do like, yeah. you know, you pull the shot, but then you get a rinse oh. shot to like clean it. And yeah. they put a rinse shot in his drink. The Starbucks, like, yeah, Starbucks equivalent uh, of a here, bar mat shot. Yeah, exactly. Here you go, <laughs> punk. And they gave it to him knowing that he was like, you know, Mr. In a suit, in a rush, you yeah. know, which I'd imagine like cool coffee shop. Like the Nixon's vibe. Like uh, when a dude walks in full suit and if he was like aggro, like I got to get out of here. Like that's not a, that's not that type of yeah. shop, right? Like no. we want to hang out and kick it. So yeah. anyhow, they gave him a rinse shot and I bet he walked out, you know, too much of a hurry to bitch about it. Yeah. <laughs> or, or got all the way to where he was going yeah, and realized yeah. it. It probably didn't realize it. So yeah. for what he had done, they were like, yeah, rinse shot it. So <laughs> to avoid that sort of interaction, Harley's question. So if what is there like one thing yeah. that as a customer you would I could do to keep from upsetting my coffee shop staff oh, okay. when ordering. Like, yeah, that's a good like what's a, you know, like everybody's got one thing, right? Like yeah. in the workshop here at the bike shop, like any mechanic universally, if you like crowd the work stand while I'm trying to do something like, like I'll, I'll drop a wrench on your foot just to get you to back up. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, what's the one thing that like coffee shop customers do or can do to, to just ultimately make you endear themselves yeah. to the barista and have a better experience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or, or on the same, what not to or, do. Yeah. Or what super duper. Like, what just not don't to do. ever well, do this. Yeah. Don't be mean. Yeah. <laughs> you know? so don't, uh, don't be a dick. That yeah. covers a lot. Honestly, it basically <laughs> does. Uh, I mean, different, I, I think different people would have different things. So my thing probably is it's, it's a huge pet peeve. Uh, when I'm at the register, and someone comes in and they don't make eye contact. They don't even say hi. They just say their drink. Right. To me, that's like, that's like my, that like really is, it's yeah. like, am I so just, just like your, be polite, like be yeah, a human. Vocal response, like coffee vending machine where you okay. just say your thing. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. At least just say hi. Like, you don't have yeah. to be like, how's your day? Although that's sometimes is nice too, yeah. but you don't even have to go that far. Just like, yeah. Just acknowledge that you're a human There's doing a, things. Exactly. I, I just, yeah. I actually read something not too long ago about that where they're, like the service industry is like a very noble thing. Like, you know, you guys don't make, I don't make, I mean, I'm in service industry, Harley's in service, you're in service. It's not that it'd be much easier to go sell products. Yeah. Right. Like it's yeah, way yeah. easier to sell products. You make a lot more money. Um, there's this part of service that even though like I'm being paid to provide my service at the gym, Harley's being paid to provide a service here and you likewise, it also like I'm choosing to serve you. Right. I'm treat me well, but there's this huge thing where so many people Treat service people, be it the person cutting your hair or like getting your nails done or getting a coffee. Like it's like servanthood and it's not servanthood. Yeah. It's like service, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. So just don't be a, don't be yeah, like just, say yeah, hi. Just, I mean, just be nice and yeah, say like, hi. I'm not a robot. I'm a person. Yeah. 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 yeah that, that's really, cool. that's really it. Yeah. And this is a friendly neighborhood too. It is. So we don't have, we don't have a lot of trouble. It goes that. both ways sometimes. Yeah. yeah no. <laughs> um, well, sweet dude. So no, I, I, there's so much about this like coffee game that again oh. we don't know. Yeah. yeah, and so it's cool to get a little like behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean, if anyone ever wants to, I mean, it's a rabbit hole. So yeah. there's so much to know. There's I mean, so just to... Justin telling me he's like, dude, I read this book about coffee. I was like, you read a whole book about coffee oh, yeah. <laughs> a couple yeah. of times. Yeah, I'm like, eh, all right. So it's well, it's crazy. Like, the history of it yeah. is is yeah. so cool. And then, mm-hmm. um, like I like I was telling you before you came on, I had. 
I've had the opportunity to go to Colombia to a farm and uh-huh. pick berries and in Costa Rica pick berries. And so to see the, like it's a globally huge process that is such a huge foundation of opportunity for everything mm-hmm. from small families that live in a very de- developing situation to, you know, guys in and out of school and part-time jobs and this and well, that. And culturally here in the well, US, yeah. I mean, it's just it's such a cornerstone of like, yeah. What do you do? We just got done exactly. talking about Spain, and you, you didn't said, have a single positive coffee experience there. By the way, <laughs> that's what oh. you said didn't have one, <laughs> not one. Every, I mean, there was, it was just all Nespresso machines everywhere. So I'm, I'm just last weekend. Uh, I was in Crested Butte with the wife mountain biking, and I'm out in the middle of nowhere. Like phones don't work, and I come across this place that says Coffee Lab. It's part of this uh, like Rocky Mountain biological laboratory area where they do a lot of research mm. it's in the middle of nowhere like literally nothing works out there and it says coffee lab and inside this 15 year old kid pulling like the best espresso shots ever i'm like how do you even power it? he's like oh it's all solar power i didn't know where i was i was like wow. in a magical coffee kingdom wow called the coffee lab it was that's amazing cool. <laughs> wait <laughs> so where was that it was in, in crusty beauty i'll tell you about oh, it wow. <laughs> okay. we're all done it's sweet but um we're super jacked to have nixon's a part of like our support staff in the sense that, you know, we're all local companies. And so having yeah. them on the jersey, having them part of our team and having them as a resource to go to is way cool. And um, and the remote office factor the, yeah, is nice. Right? They, they don't charge us for desk space. So <laughs> they probably should start. <laughs> Thank you for coming on and like yeah, breaking yeah. that down a little bit. Thanks um, for having me. It was fun. Super cool. Super yeah. short, but super fun. End it. it with my Howard Stern. <laughs> oh, there it is. If you didn't get turned up on the whole podcast, <laughs> do it one more time and then you can just go home. Hey there. Tell them, uh, hey, thanks for listening to No Ride Around. Thanks for listening to No Ride Around. <laughs> oh, we're out. <laughs> Later. Don't wait. You're done. So get the fuck out. Don't wait. You're done. So get the fuck out. Don't wait. You're done. So get the fuck out.